From LPL Financial, welcome to Market Signals. I'm your host, Ryan Dietrich. If Biden wins and you get the Senate to flip, then um, there's a good chance the corporate tax rate goes from 21% to 28%. Just doing that simple math takes S&P 500 earnings down in the neighborhood of 10%. There's going to be spending with it, uh, potentially removal of China tariffs, and that would boost earnings. So you get spending plus reduction or elimination of some China tariffs. That would offset some of the drag on earnings from the possible corporate tax increase. You know, people might look at these numbers and, and be a little bit scared by them. It, they're, they're not as bad as they seem and probably uh, are seeing some of this risk priced into markets already. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the latest edition of the LPL Market Signals podcast. Ryan Dietrich here and on the line up in Boston is Jeff Bookbinder. Jeff, we have a three-week losing streak. We've talked for a while about the market pulling back. We're going to get into all of that. But before I go further, how is the weather up in Boston? It is, by the time people hear this, it's going to be fall in all, in all likelihood. How are things hanging up, hanging on up there? Yeah, the, this is probably our last warm week. I'm, I'm hoping to get one more pool day in before uh, we shut it down. Uh, but we, we have had to use the heat uh, a couple of days here over the past week. It's... Uh, been a little cooler than than I would like, but I guess this time of year, that's what you'd expect. It's it's funny because I'm I'm down in Charlotte, so it's a little bit warmer, I guess, than where you are. But it's it's really cooled off significantly. And just a little bit ago, I'm at home recording this podcast today, and I went I went downstairs and I was like, "Did you turn the heat on?" To my wife, and she sure did. She turned the heat on. But we're kind of big wimps. It's funny. I've lived in Charlotte for four years now, going on five years. And it's funny how, you know, 65 degree weather is like cold to us. I never felt that way. When I was in Ohio, it toughened me up, you know, but living down here, you're spoiled. Like, oh boy, it's really cold down here. And over the weekend, my son Gus had his birthday, eighth birthday to Gus. We had a lot of fun, had some friends over and a, a good party and a big mess to clean up the next day. But we did a good job getting everything cleaned up. And both my boys had games on Sunday, soccer and um, Sebastian does soccer and Gus does flag football. And both of them lost. I think they were up way too late the night before having fun, but that's um, that's just kind of how it goes. Uh, so, Jeff, you know, obviously, you know, our thoughts and prayers go out to Ruth um, Bader Ginsburg's family. We lost an amazing, amazing person. Just the stuff that she's done for our country, when you look at it, just the, the women's rights, you know, I mean, I didn't know this. Women weren't allowed to be on a mortgage without a man on there. Weren't allowed to apply for a credit card without a man on there. This is a long, you know, many, many decades ago, but she was, she spearheaded so many of those things, along with many other things. But, you know, it's just... um. You know, it's, it's really sad, but definitely just it's really neat to read all of the amazing things that she's done. And we're going to talk later kind of about what does it mean, obviously, with that potential open seat on the uh, on the Supreme Court. We're not going to go there quite yet, but we're just going to give her a minute to um, give her her well-deserved due because the things she's done for our country and you read about it just truly for decades, for decades and decades. It's just awesome. So um, definitely thinking about her and her family. So, Jeff, let's just kind of move right into it here. We'll go, you know. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about last week. So last week, uh, stocks were higher until Friday, and then the S&P dropped significantly. The time we're recording this on Monday morning, we're seeing some significant follow-through to the downside again. It was the first three-week losing streak for the S&P. Um, so I thought I assumed we'd had a three-day losing streak this year. We hadn't. There has not been a three-day losing streak this year until right now. I just it felt like March every day. It felt like March and April or February, March felt like every every week was down. But apparently, we weren't down three in a row. Um, and, and you think about it, uh, we haven't had a four-week losing streak since August of last year. 
Now, Jeff, I'm going to go to you in one second here. The thing that got me about last week, and I want to make sure I read it correctly here, um, 60% of all S&P 500 companies were higher. Materials were making new all-time highs. Transports were breaking out. Um, small caps, I mean, small caps had an awesome week last week, up 2.6% with the S&P 500 down. That's only happened twice uh, since the March 2009 lows, where small caps outperformed by that much, and the S&P 500 is down on the week. The only time it happened was in the middle of October 2014, a really scary, that was the Ebola sell-off, at a really scary sell-off, but a major low was taking place as there was market participation. So my take is, yes, we know these big cap techs are pulling back um, significantly, um, but at the same time, it's uh, it's really important to uh, to note uh, there are other parts of the world that are there are other parts of the market that are really hanging in there. So, Jeff, kind of what do you think about last week? Yeah, I mean, certainly um, uh, a lot of attention on, on the big tech names. You know, the, yep. the top five are uh, about twenty three percent of the S and P five hundred. Now that's come down a little bit. Uh, we need the other 77 plus percent of the S&P 500 to help out and drive this next leg of the rally. And, and we certainly would say that that's one sign under the surface that's positive from last week, that some of these other parts of the market are rallying. The, the signal there might still be that markets are uh, optimistic about a vaccine, because if you don't get a vaccine or you know, the end of the pandemic in some way, you know, herd immunity, therapeutics, however the, the end comes and, and we can all go about our, our normal lives, you know, that's when value stocks should do better. Cyclical stocks uh, should do better. Some of the areas that you mentioned, industrials have done uh, pretty well relatively lately. Um, so it, it's, a, it's a positive market signal, uh, I would say, but we also need to keep in mind that, um, you know, tech's about 30% of the market. We also need uh, some help from that sector as well. Uh, no doubt about it. You know, we are recording these now on our YouTube channel, LPL Researchers YouTube channel. We're showing a chart that shows the S&P at the time when we submitted it to compliance was hanging above its 50-day moving average. The S&P is I guess you could say comfortably or maybe uncomfortably, I guess is another way to put it, beneath its 50-day moving average uh, for the first time in over or just approximately uh, five months. And, you know, that's just one way to look at it. There's so many different ways. I was shocked this morning or over the weekend, I guess, I was reading about the NASDAQ 100. It was 30% above its 200-day a couple weeks ago. I think I've said that just about every week, it feels like, on this podcast, that that's historically stretched. Now, this isn't including Monday sell-off, but as of over the weekend, the, S the uh, NASDAQ Stack 100 was still like 14% above its 200-day moving average, which is still really, really high. So that that rubber band is still stretched. And once it starts going the other way, potentially you can see the, the tech names pulling back, but it's just kind of ironic where everyone complained for months about the only thing going up was technology. Now we've got tech coming back to earth, but you've got other groups actually doing well, and we're still kind of complaining. But like you said, tech's such a big part of um part of things. Now, you know, one thing that's unique is we took a look at, uh, I took a look at kind of how the S&P 500 does after 100 days above its 50-day moving average. And sure enough, I mean, the, the historical returns are quite strong. Um, one year later, this is after 100 days, and it just got to 102 before that ended. But after 100 days, the previous, let's see, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, the previous 15 times, going back to 1950, 
The S&P was above the 50-day moving average this long. A year later, it's up 8%. That's right about the long-term average. Higher 73% of the time. That's right about the long-term average. So my big takeaway here is this has been an amazing, amazing run. Um, this, is, this is one data point. I get it. But it's not suggesting once it's over, you just have this major correction or or you could have a decent-sized correction, but it's not this end-all, be-all bear market signal that everything's over. A year later, things are actually quite quite normal. So Jeff, I mean, last week, let's talk retail sales for a second, maybe. Retail sales came in, they were a little weak, still improving, still higher, up 0.6%. My worry here is the $600, extra dollars, and some of the stimulus is obviously not taking place. Do you think that's the first sign that um, the economic data is going to start to weaken without that stimulus, extra stimulus in there? Well, retail sales are still above the pre-pandemic highs. So that that's just remarkable uh, with all that's gone on, uh, with all of the unemployment, and now with um, that stimulus fading, uh, still staying above that, that February level of retail sales is, is, is tremendous. So um, while it was a little below expectations, uh, I, I think you, you'd have to say that, um, uh, that the consumer resilience is, is really, really impressive. And it's just one piece of this economic recovery that frankly, has really surprised us with strength. Yeah, I mean, just digging, what do we say, peeling back the onion. It's kind of one of our sayings we use here on on our podcast. Um, bars and restaurants up month over month, 4.7%. So more, more and more people slowly getting out there. Now, still down 17% year over year, bars and restaurants, though. Uh, the big, big loser, if that's the way you want to put it, I guess, is sporting goods down 5.7% month over month. But sporting goods are one of the huge winners the last couple of uh, last couple of months as people, I think, realize they're stuck at home. You know, go buy an extra football. And I, I mentioned last week trying to buy a bike for my son. It's, it's virtually impossible to find a size 20 bike uh, for your kid unless you want to spend like three or four hundred dollars on a real expensive BMX bike. So clearly um, th- that's that's kind of unique. Now, the other one that got me, Jeff, retail sales has been up four months in a row. Okay, now believe me, it was down historically. So we're still bouncing off those low levels. But like you said, we're making new all time highs in total retail sales. But if you look back in history, and I think the data goes back to like 1990 or sometime in the 1990s, we've never had a recession when retail sales were up four months in a row. The previous longest time we were in a recession with retail sales up was three months in a row um, back in 2009 off those lows. Retail sales were up three months in a row, then the recession was over the next month, which would have been July 2009. I think just another uh, sign, in my opinion, that this recession is likely over. It's going to be a while before we get the official okay on that, but that's just something to um, to be aware of. Now, Jeff, we're going to talk about the Fed next. Is there anything else from last week, whether it be economic data or just kind of the rotation that you want to touch on a little bit more? Let's go to the Fed, Ryan. Yeah, let's. Well, before we do that, we will. I want to point out that today is, or this podcast is our 100th podcast. Uh, we've got a pretty goofy little picture there of a lady celebrating turning 100, if you're looking at that on YouTube. But, you know, it's really awesome. I was trying to keep track of this. And I, I was like, we were at 97 or 96 recently. I was like, you know what's going to happen? I bet we do the 100th, and I totally don't realize it and totally don't mention it. But I'm proud of myself here. <laughs> With all this stuff going on, I remember to mention it. So we're officially hitting 100 podcasts today. And as a um, uh, just a little note, I think we're like at 99 iTunes um, reviews. So, hey, if anybody out there is listening, 
please try and get the 100th iTunes review. And we would prefer, wink, wink, if it's a positive review. We've got a lot of five-star reviews out of those 100 or out of those 99. So thank you guys for continuing to listen and, and doing that. But yeah, definitely the more positive reviews we have on iTunes and Google and uh, Spotify, the more people can hear this podcast. So 100. I, did you think we'd make 100, Jeff? We started this about two years ago. I don't know. What Kind of neat, isn't it? It is neat. I, uh, I would sure hope that, you know, if you're going to start something that it's successful enough to get you to a hundred weeks, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, nonetheless, that's a great, uh, great milestone. And, uh, let, let's see if we can get to 200 or maybe eventually a thousand. Hey, let's do it. And, you know, I just kind of what, what takeaways in 2020, I mean, this is just me almost talking to you, Jeff, with everybody just listening. One of the things I think we could have done better was back during the pandemic when markets are volatile, we still did our podcast only once a week. And I, I was thinking about that. We probably should have done our podcast more because we were getting record numbers of listens. People wanted it. So that's maybe a takeaway for me. Um, you know, when we have a lot of volatility, it's not that hard for Jeff and I to jump on a Zoom and record this and post it uh, to, you know, out, out on our regular sources. So when more volatility hits, um, whenever that is, and it's going to happen, <laughs> it's going to happen eventually, we might do the podcast more than once a week. I have a special SOS version of the Market Signals podcast. Um, anyway, so that's just a takeaway for me, I think. But yeah, but thanks so much again for everybody and Jeff. And obviously, John was involved in this in the very beginning. So everyone and all of our friends in marketing and communications, uh, Neil is listening to this right now and helps us every week cut this and make it make it really good. So thanks to everyone uh, that's made this successful for almost two years now. Um, so Jeff, one one final thing, and then we'll move forward. I've got this chart up on the YouTube channel again. It's the idea that during an election year, the S&P 500 peaks today. Okay, we're recording this on September 21st. And by the way, it'd be funny if we were doing it on September 19th. It's talk like a pirate day. We could talk like pirates. The whole podcast would probably be the most popular podcast we've ever done. But it's not talk like a pirate day. It is September 21st, the day, the last day. I believe it's the last day of um of summer. Next day is the first day of autumn. Nonetheless. That's when during an election year, the S&P 500 peaks, and it tends to be weak until the end of October. Most years, that's exactly the case, but especially during an election year, we've talked a lot about, you know, potentially some skittishness ahead of an election as normal. And that's just something to be aware of. I think my takeaway there is the calendar is really not doing anyone any favors. Now, Jeff, I'll let you talk for a while as we move forward to the Fed. This week's weekly market commentary, I've got it in front of me. What did we call it, Jeff? Central bank season. We had the ECB, we had the Fed, we had the BOJ. I mean, we'll focus probably more on the Fed here, but they all kind of said about the same thing. Um, what, what was your takeaway from the Fed? My takeaway was this. The Fed did what they were supposed to, and the market's getting killed ever since they opened their mouth four days later. So what uh, <laughs> what uh, do you think the Fed did, or what they have to yeah. say? Clearly, um, the market was looking for more, right? The Fed you know, continued right. their policy, you know, low rates for several more years, uh, certainly they're going to let inflation run a little hot. But we knew that already. Uh, so frankly, I'm not sure it made much sense to expect more. But we have seen that the market does react to uh, the Fed balance sheet and money supply growth, which is related uh, to the Fed balance sheet. So as the momentum around the Fed stimulus slows, that does provide a little bit of a headwind for stocks. There are a number of reasons why uh, stocks have pulled back. Um, put Fed on the list, right? A lot of this 9% or so pullback uh, that we've seen has, has come since the Fed uh, told us what they're thinking. Uh, it, it, it's part of that story. Certainly tech stocks getting ahead of themselves is part of the story. Um, 
fiscal stimulus probably not going to happen before the election, or at least it's, let's call it less than 50-50 now. Uh, that's certainly uh, part of the story. Uh, and then election, election uncertainty, which you just talked about as part of the uncertainty. But the Fed, the Fed is in there, um, and uh, the momentum of what they're doing is starting to slow. No, oh, exactly. I mean, you know, I guess the Fed is dovish. There's no question about that. They, like you said, they didn't really talk about the balance sheet, though. And some some Fed watchers, Fed soothers, are thinking that you know maybe they could have done something there, and that's potentially some of the weakness in the markets. I think it's just markets are stretched, and it's a weak seasonal time. Nonetheless, what one positive from what the Fed said is they're they're looking for GDP growth in the U.S. to be down 3.7 percent. In 2020, it was down six and a half percent just back in June. And I always get a kick out of this. So the dot plots are kind of where the Fed, the voting members of the Fed think the the, the uh, future interest rates are going to be. Out, I think there's 17 of them. Out of those 17, only one is expecting a hike in 2022. We don't know who it is. He's totally anonymous. So he or she is totally anonymous. But there's only one. Uh, there's four that are looking for a rate hike by 2023. So the majority of those 17 do not see a rate hike until at least 2024. Uh, so clearly a dovish Fed. I mean, so Jeff, we've only got a couple more minutes. Let's maybe move forward. You know, just very high level. Um, you know, clearly with, with, with what's happening with the Supreme Court, there potentially could be a nominee now. It looks like President Trump's going to go that route. The Republicans are going to go that route. We're not asking, you know, for your analysis there, but kind of what's big picture? What do you think this, 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 this continued divide might be with our country if this vote continues to move forward? What's your uh, high-level takeaways there? Yeah, I, I don't have a good feel for how this plays out. In fact, you know, I was just reading some comments from one of the Washington insiders that we follow, pretty uh, centrist uh, opinion. And, and even they don't have a lot of conviction as to whether this confirmation goes through. It's about the Senate, right? And right. You know, we've already had two come out and say they, they want to hold the uh, confirmation uh, vote after the election. So um, it, it's you know right on the edge here as to whether this happens. And obviously uh, the political uncertainty it would, would be even higher. It's already high, but the uncertainty would be even higher if we go into the election without uh, that ninth Supreme Court justice. Um, but uh, if that is, uh, if, if, a, if the nominee is confirmed before the election, it's, you know, make it the divisive environment is going to be more divisive, but I'm just not sure. Well, and we wouldn't know, we don't know who the nominee is going to be. <laughs> so that right. would have impact. Uh, you know, Cuban-American potentially from Florida, that would have impact on um, maybe the vote there, a very, very important swing state, certainly the Hispanic vote, very important. So th there's, this could play out so many different ways, and it's, it's really making my head spin just trying to figure out um, what this means. No, no, exactly. I mean, don't forget the Republicans currently have a 53 to 47 um, majority in the Senate. Two have already come out and said that they're not going to support voting during an election year or adding a new uh, Supreme Court justice during an election year. So that means two more potentially would need to um, go the other way. So it's um, some drama out of Washington, and we'll keep monitoring it. A couple high-level things, Jeff. Then we're going to talk about the final thing, a little more of the election. Caterpillar recently was breaking out to two-year highs. Copper recently was breaking out to two-year highs as well. 
Credit spreads for the most part remain quite calm and materials and transports also were making new all-time highs last week. My personal opinion here is when I see things like that, this is simply just an overrun market that's due for a correction being led by the big tech, big cap tech names that are pulling things back. There's always worries. There's always concerns. It simply is probably, as we've talked about on the Market Signals podcast for, for a while now, we're due for a well-deserved break after a 60% rally. And this doesn't seem like a fundamental shift. I know there's some headlines lines today as stocks are selling off of you know rolling shutdowns again issues with with obviously COVID-19 in Europe and in the U.S. we're following them but I think it's just there are some real positives still under the surface it's just the market's time for a little bit of a break but Jeff let's finish things up as we're going to continue to do here by talking actually there's a chart on the YouTube channel I should have had this up when we were talking about it uh, central bank assets are just continuing to go higher whether you look at the B, the Bank of Japan ECB and um the Fed, and we talked about this this week in the LPL market um, or LPL weekly market commentary, which you can find on our uh, website, lpl.com, by the time you listen to this podcast. Uh, but Jeff, let's talk about the election just for a minute here. Um, I'll let you do this one. The, the U.S. dollar, or maybe I'll take this one. I'll take the U.S. dollar. You can take the next one, which is uh, taxes, if that's okay. Um, you know, we've talked before about how the idea of during an election year, stocks are weak ahead of an election three months before, incumbent party tends to lose. If stocks are strong ahead of an election, incumbent party tends to win. Now, we took if you take a look at the U.S. dollar, we're seeing quite similar situation, except it's a little opposite. If the dollar is weak, that tends to benefit the incumbent party to win. If the dollar is strong, that benefits the incumbent party to lose, or the current incumbent party to lose. And it's interesting because think back to March, U.S. dollar went up, everything else went down, like a safety trade, that kind of you know, worrisome uh, trade and the dollar is stronger. So maybe there's something to that. So as we inch closer to this election, what the currency markets are telling us could be, again, a potential clue. Uh, during this recent sell-off, obviously, dollar has been strengthening. It was weakening and it's been strengthening, but we're still a long way before the election. But, you know, we'll, we'll talk more about these. It's obviously called market signals for a reason. These are the signals we're watching um, but if the dollar, you know, our base case isn't elect. This isn't about politics at all. Our base case is for a weak-ish dollar here at LPL Research. We think the dollar is going to continue to go a little bit lower uh, for some fundamental reasons. But hey, if it starts to spike ahead of the election, that could be a potential sign um, that, that Joe Biden could win this election in November. Jeff, let's finish speaking of Joe Biden. Let's finish it up with this, and I'll let you talk about this one. The various earnings per share estimates that we see out there, uh, based on you know, if S and P 500 earnings this year about 132, they're expected to. Go Go to 162 next year. Pretty big, pretty big jump in earnings, obviously. But here's the catch: if Joe Biden's um, the corporate taxes come in, you're going to get a hit to earnings. But maybe there's some positives there because there's some some stimulus and some different things Joe Biden wants to do. Specifically, maybe remove some of the China tariffs, which is a positive. Jeff, kind of, you're the earnings guru. What do you see uh, with the different scenarios out there with a potentially a President Biden? Yeah, if if Biden wins and you get the Senate to flip, then um, there's a good chance the corporate tax rate goes from 21% to 28%. Just doing that simple math uh, takes S&P 500 earnings down in the neighborhood of 10%. Now, that's a simplistic way to look at it because there are going to be other pieces to tax reform from the Democrats if that happens. It's still less than 50-50, we would say, that we get a Democratic sweep. Uh, but if we do get that and the tax hike, there's going to be more to it. Um, so, you know, that's point number one. Point number two, there's going to be spending with it. And potentially, as you see on this chart, uh, for those watching on YouTube, 
uh, potentially removal of China tariffs, and that would boost earnings. So you get spending, potentially, uh, green energy spending, infrastructure spending, and the like, plus um, reduction or elimination of some China tariffs. That would offset some of the drag on earnings from the possible corporate tax increase. So, um, you know, something to keep in mind here, you know, people might look at these numbers and, and be a little bit scared by them. It, they're, they're not as bad as they seem. And you probably uh, are seeing some of this risk priced into markets already, uh, certainly, especially what we've seen over the last uh, few weeks with stocks down about uh, eight, nine percent. All right, Jeff. Good stuff there. I think we've hit the end of the road this week in the LPL Market Signals podcast. Again, it is our 100th podcast on on here, so we're really excited about that. Great comments, Jeff, as always. Um, everybody, enjoy enjoy fall. Fall is here, right? Uh, by the time most people listen to this, it will officially be fall or autumn. What do you call it, Jeff? You call it fall or autumn? I call it fall. I don't know. I, I call it fall as well. Um, yeah. Maybe sometimes okay. in print, we, I would use autumn. Yeah. It just sounds more uh, sophisticated. Yeah, Yeah, we we write a client letter uh, for our awesome LPL advisors, you know, every every month. And I was thinking the same thing. We'll probably call it autumn for the client letter because it just sounds a little more regal. But when we're we're talking about markets on the podcast, maybe we'll call it fall, which, by the way, that as we're recording this, the market is falling. I see Dow's down nearly 3%. Again, at the time we're recording this, we'll see where things go. But, you know, we'll, we'll be back next week if this weakness continues or if it doesn't. Either way, we'll be back next week. But clearly, we'll be back uh, to talk about all of the different things happening out there. So, everybody, uh, thank you for listening this week. Jeff, thanks as always for being here. We'll see everyone next week on the LPL Market Signals podcast. Take care. Bye-bye. This material was provided by LPL Financial, is for general information only, and is not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. There is no assurance that the views or strategies discussed are suitable for all investors or will yield positive outcomes. Investing involves risks, including possible loss of principal. Any economic forecasts set forth in the podcast may not develop as predicted and are subject to change. References to markets, asset classes, and sectors are generally regarded the corresponding market index. All indexes are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. Index performance is not indicative of the performance of any investment. All performance reference is historical and it's no guarantee of future results. All information referenced in the podcast is believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representation as to its completeness or accuracy. Securities and advisory services offered through Opel Financial, a registered investment advisor and broker dealer. Member FINRA and SIPC insurance products are offered through LPL or its licensed affiliates. To the extent you are receiving investment advice from a separately registered investment advisor that is not an LPL affiliate, please note LPL makes no representation with respect to such entity. If your financial professional is located at a bank or credit union, please note that the bank or credit union is not registered as a broker dealer or investment advisor. These products and services are being offered through LPL or its affiliates, which are separate entities from and not affiliates of the bank or credit union. Securities and insurance offered through LPL or its affiliates are not insured by the FDIC or NCUA or any government agency. Not bank or credit union guaranteed, not bank or credit union deposits or obligations, and may lose value.